Hello, hello, and welcome to Arrest All Mimics, the creative innovation podcast. My name is Ben Tallon. It's been a while since we've had a long-form episode on the show. Thank you for everyone who's been tuning in to the Creative Cabin Cast episodes. Special series I've been doing this week and going to continue into next week, and as long as it needs to go on during this horrible time when we've got this global pandemic, COVID-19, coronavirus, uh, I thought it was the least I could do. Today's guest, Nick Asbury, is a design writer, a copywriter. Uh, he's one of the best out there. He's, he's a prominent voice in advertising and uh, visual communications. He works with a whole range of great agencies from Studio Sutherland to Jordan Banks to uh, you name him. He's out there. He's a great guy. We met two years ago at a UCLan design conference, which was the university I studied at in Preston. And it was hilarious. I was blown away by Nick's projects that you'll find in his shop over at asburyandasbury.com from real-time notes which you might see on Instagram if you follow Nick uh, right through to Corpoetics and the Pentone box set the book about the A6 robe which is just tremendous, it's a notebook Um, the Perpetual Disappointments Diary, he's uh, he's quite prolific in terms of his projects uh, and I really connect with the humour there, it's very melancholy, it's very dry, um, hilarious in my opinion but we're going to be talking about a number of things today. Quickly, I want to say a thank you to the supporters of the show, the Association of Illustrators.com and founding sponsor, IllustrationX.com. Fantastic global illustration and animation agency repping over. Oh, and a whole great number of illustrators and animators and lettering specialists and fashion illustrators. I could go on. They do a lot of great work in the creative industry. Go and check them out, IllustrationX.com. So how are you dealing with the whole lockdown how's everyone doing in the cabins we've got a few more episodes of those lined up last week we covered rebecca hendon political cartoonist for the bbc guardian new statesman um she used to be the in-house illustrator at buzzfeed we had kyla paolucci designer and illustrator at hbo in new york and we had craig black coming in from scotland who's a designer and lettering specialist who was very very positive about the ways responding to the whole thing so it's been fun, it's been exciting, and it's been a while since I've done a long-form episode. The last time out was with Dion Kitchen, and we were discussing self-promotion in all its uh, thorny guises. Um, but I've been, you know, I took a break, I took a break for Parenthood, I took a break to get the hunger for the show back, and here I am, I've been pumping the episodes out recently. Not going to stay quite so prolific as I once was, I want these things to be less is more, to make them count when they come along, but we've got some great ones lined up, we've got some great ones in the bag, and none better than today's guest, Nick Asbury. So we're going to get into, um, you know, clear communication about Nick's journey from working in sales and writing copy for, you know, um, kind of corporate advertising and that kind of stuff and making his way into the world of design and working with great designers providing his copy and about the synergy between the two and the importance of the balance and the crossover so we're going to talk about all that stuff and talk about his projects um it's an exciting one and thank you for coming back sorry i've been away do shout about the show we're probably going to need a little jump start to get this thing moving again um but I hope you enjoy it. Get us your thoughts at Arrest All Mimics on the social media. We're on all the different platforms. Thanks for the feedback so far. Always enjoy it. Drop us a message if you're a little shyer and you want to talk personally. Always happy to hear from you. Uh, but without further ado, let's get into it. Nick Asbury from Asbury and Asbury. Okay, cool. Cheers, Nick. Cheers for taking the time. Anyway, I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, no, thanks for asking. It was a long time ago we met, wasn't it? But... It is, and I wanted to do it ever since then, to be honest. But I, I, 
I, d I don't rush these things just because there's well you know it's it's guys i find it's good to wait for the right thing to just grab you and go okay now's the time yeah 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 now's the time to do that and when i saw your uh your projects you know putting the words out there on staying home i thought that was fantastic so i thought okay well there's a nice hook um, yeah to, yeah to try and do something um but yeah so so what i've been doing is this week i don't know if you've seen but i've been doing shorter form um kind of what, what do i call them something ridiculous creative cabin tests <laughs> yeah i like it yeah yeah um, just i thought it'd be a nice thing to do just to kind of continue that connectivity that people seem to have online that people mm. are clinging to a little bit but but i thought they could do just a little longer with this one so maybe i don't know 40 minutes or so because i'd like to just touch upon yeah. you there's so much good work that you've done that it feels criminal to just bypass all that stuff so <laughs> <laughs> well that's nice of you yeah no i'm happy to go as long as as long as whatever works you know it's fine yeah it's cool as well so i, I always like to kick off with the, the very beginnings like I'm, I'm interested in childhood and people's family and, and creative roots so you got you know what's what was the deal with you uh so i'm probably not uh that far away from you in terms of where i grew up you are you kind of north manchester Oh. I'm not. I'm West Yorkshire originally. Uh, I was oh, okay. Okay, right. Yeah. between Bradford and Leeds. Okay. Well, I, I grew up just near Stockport, so kind of South Manchester. Um, and yeah, I kind of uh, went to school, Manchester Grammar School, Grammar School boy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was kind of from a big family, a big Catholic family, uh, middle child in the family. Which is why I'm so incredibly well adjusted. Um, uh, English was always kind of my thing, I guess. So I grew up, um, yeah, I was kind of into stories, into reading. Uh, I was always aware at school that, I, I, you know, I was a fairly bright kid, so I, I was pretty good at most subjects, but I always found that English came most naturally in a way i felt like i didn't have to try so hard with english so being fairly lazy by nature i kind of <laughs> followed that as a path really uh did english at university um got a bit lost after that to be honest i, I was a bit i had no real sense of what i wanted to do with english um it seems pretty obvious in retrospect that I should have done something to do with writing um but it didn't seem obvious at the time i think uh I think I, I just assumed everyone could write in a way, and it, it didn't seem like a kind of particularly uh, distinctive skill to have. And I've gradually realised over the years that it's actually a, a you know incredibly distinctive skill to have. There's lots of really um, smart and talented people out there who can't necessarily write very well. You know, they can think really well and they can communicate well in other ways, but they're not necessarily great at actually putting words on a page. Um, and yeah, I kind of gradually realised that I, I'm good at that and I can use that as a as a skill generally in life. Um, so I kind of, I did various odd jobs for a couple of years. I started, um, I was still living up north at this point, but then I moved to London um, really with a view. I kind of took this crappy telesales job in London selling um, advertising space in a magazine called the Local Government Chronicle. Uh, which was as exciting as it sounds um but I, I kind of took that job really with a view to just getting into london and thinking having a vague instinct that things might happen if i moved to london and without going through the whole story i kind of um i was a terrible tele salesperson but i got an opportunity at one point my manager said we need to actually create a, an ad for the magazine itself to promote the magazine 
Um, and I came up with a headline fairly quickly and some just a little paragraph of supporting copy. And they would, it went down well. And everyone thought, oh, yeah, it had a little, it wasn't a genius headline, but it had a little kind of idea in it. Um, I might as well tell you, it was. Um, it was a map of the UK split into its various local authorities, because uh, this was the magazine for local government. And it said something like 447 authorities, one authority. That was my, my uh, nice. genius headline. Uh, but, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's not bad as a starting point. And um, it meant that they would use this ad whenever there was like spare space in the magazine so it would go full page on the back cover or uh, and it kind of meant that i had this portfolio piece that i could suddenly use to go and apply for jobs and until that point it hadn't occurred to me at all to apply to be a copywriter um but shortly afterwards an ad came up i saw it in the guardian actually it was an ad for a, a graduate trainee copywriter at a very kind of lowly ad agency um but i managed to get that on the strength of having this portfolio piece and yeah it just kind of gradually grew from there really so that was back in 1996 i guess i got that first copywriting job um and i was very i was very much in a kind of niche within a niche of advertising really i was it was a recruitment advertising agency so it was kind of writing uh, fairly dull job ads the kind of ads that you see in the sunday times and the, the guardian appointment section this is back when newspapers had appointment sections um so i would write those and i was i was very much stuck in that niche for a while but then i met these other writers um who were just starting their own company really because they were trapped in the same niche and they wanted to kind of get out and do a broader range of stuff and i was quite lucky to meet them quite early so i joined them there were just three of us um and we kind of grew a company from there um it kind of ended up being about 15 people. There were some writers, about four or five writers, four or five designers, a couple of account managers. Um, so it's quite an unusual company, actually. There still aren't that many companies, even these days, that are kind of jointly run by writers and designers, which I think is quite surprising in a way. There should be more of them. Um, but it meant that for the next five years, I was kind of involved in quite a wide range of stuff really i was writing uh, charity direct mail i was writing tv ads radio ads um it was in the kind of dot-com boom era so i was working for lots of um dot-coms who thought they were going to be the next amazon and kind of disappeared the next day um but it, kind of an interesting time to be in business um and then 2002 it kind of got to the point where i was quite closely involved in actually running the business which i found to be quite draining after a while um i found i wasn't actually writing very much and i was just worrying about paychecks and winning business and all that kind of stuff um and yeah for, for various reasons i ended up drifting away and going freelance instead and that's effectively what i've been ever since so what's that 17 years now i've basically been a freelance writer yeah Mm. I think there's something there there's a lesson about um, 
instinct and about doing something that you are just drawn to or quite good at but as you hit upon it's not always that obvious that you are good at mm-hmm. something if you do it that's the trouble with something that comes so naturally isn't it that you mm-hmm. you just do it and you don't really think too much about it and then when you know when you get whatever it might be at school careers advisors or you get given this panorama of potential jobs you, you, you there's a real disconnect that goes on there so people can go for an entire lifetime missing that yeah. the penny dropping you know Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I often think that if I could go back and talk to myself as a kind of lost, bewildered 18-year-old, I would just kind of shake myself and say, just, what are you good at? Okay, you're good at writing, just do that. Yeah. It's like, it's that, it's that kind of obvious in a way. But... It, 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 it befuddles me that today with all this great creativity in the world and how accessible it is that we still don't put a higher value on doing something you mm. enjoy and something that you're good at, you know? It's just, uh, mm. we tend to... to I don't know, but put it away with hobbies or pastimes, and mm. something to be done as a career. You know, it's yeah, a bit of a bone, yeah. a bit of, bone of uh, contemporary with me, but but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a funny one because I know it is a cliche in um, when people give talks and stuff. They always say, "Oh, do what you love," as though life will somehow just miraculously work out if you follow what you love. And it's you know, it isn't as simple as that. You need a lot of luck as well. Um, you need a certain amount of uh, privilege, I guess. You know, I had a fairly um, privileged upbringing. I had, I wouldn't say things fell on a plate for me exactly, but it's, you know, you need to be, um, not everyone gets the opportunity to do what they love, if you know what I mean. You, you're often in uh, tough circumstances where you have to take whatever's going. Uh, but I did have that, I guess, luxury of having a couple of years after university where I was able to drift around a bit and eventually hook on to what I actually like doing. Yeah. Um, but if I'd been in more uh, restricted circumstances, I may, I may have had to take the first thing going and I might be somewhere completely different now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it sounds... I, mean, I think there's, a, there's another great example there in what you said about actually just you know, writing the advert within the job. I think I've, mm. I've, there's been... I don't, I've had a lot of just, you know, what people would just call an average job, whether it's temping agencies or council work, all, the, all this stuff where I started building up to becoming a freelance illustrator. And there, there were lessons in every single one of them, whether it was social skills or being asked to do something that activated something within me that I didn't know was there. There was a lot of that going on, and it sounds like... I think there's a, your story there is a great example to always keep your eyes open almost and, and just pay attention mm. to how you feel about certain things within a job. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a funny thing with writing generally, because just about every writer I speak to has stumbled into it one way or the other, because uh, there aren't really fixed career paths that take you from school into a copywriting career. It's kind of a hazy few years in between where, you know, some people uh, maybe start out in journalism and then take a sideways step into copywriting. Uh, some people actually come at it from an art direction background, you know, they're they're a designer and art director by training. Uh, they get teamed up with another art director and then one of them says, right, one of us has got to do the words. Um, and, you know, someone draws a short straw. And uh, that's how it works in a lot of ad agencies, I think, is a lot of the people who are, call themselves copywriters aren't necessarily copywriters by training. It's just that someone's got to do it. So they yeah, um, yeah. pick it up and run with it. Kind of well, is, uh, is, is, is in the industry, would you say that there's a, a grey area between the perception of that as 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 in someone's got to do it you just have a go at it and we'll run with it and then you get a bad campaign that, that's not up to where it should be and someone's got to do it let's get someone in who's good mm. yeah it, it's 
in some ways, I think it's not that dissimilar to design because they're both professions where you don't, um, you know, you don't need an official qualification to call yourself a graphic designer or to call yourself a copywriter. You can just kind of say that's what I am and off you go. Um, so there aren't any barriers to entry as such. Um, and no one's going to ask you to get your copywriting certificate out and prove that you're a copywriter. Um, so, and, and I think there are good and bad sides to that. The bad side is, as you say, that in some ways everyone thinks they can do it. And, you know, the, um, everyone's had that situation where you're in a meeting with um, the client and they say, oh, we've, uh, we've had a go at doing the copy. Uh, I don't think we'll need a copywriter for this one. Uh so, yeah, there is that perception that everyone can write and therefore everyone's a copywriter. Um, but in some ways, that's a nice thing as well, in, is in the because everyone can write, actually. You know, there, there are, there's no, like, magical line where you stop being just a normal person and become a copywriter. It's like this uh, spectrum that everyone's on, I guess. Um, and the fact is, a lot of brilliant headlines and brand names and campaign ideas may come from people who aren't copywriters you know um everyone is capable of having that great idea um so i, I kind of i have mixed feelings about that really I, I like the fact that it's an open door profession that anyone can do um but yeah it does make it hard to kind of justify your existence sometimes yeah <laughs> and I, I guess you just have to try and find the clients who appreciate what you do you know um yeah. i think usually the smartest clients just instinctively appreciate the value of a writer. They, you know, they're smart enough to know they can't do it themselves. Yeah. Um, just the same as they do with designers. You know, you you find a great designer or you find a great writer and just let them do what they do. You know, that, that's that's the ideal client, really. I think so. I think I think it, yeah, it's something that comes with experience and letting go. I think we often have the instinct to try it. We want to do everything ourselves, not because we believe we're great at doing that, but because we think we can. And then you just burden yourself with such a heavy load that you think. I was happy when I was just focusing on what I truly loved and, and you know, and this is such a joy and I'm sure you know this yourself, having worked with great studios like Studio Sutherland and, mm. and the rest of them, that, that that's such a pleasure to get to work with someone who's brilliant at what they do and bring those two things together. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely find working with designers that there's a, uh, you can't get too, um, strict about you know your job is the design my job is the writing because really um it's kind of an artificial divide between the two things i always i always think of both things essentially as part of the same act of communication where there's a design element to it there's a writing element to it but it's it's really just one thing and when a you know, if a member of the public looks at a poster, they don't kind of check out the design first and then go and look at the writing. They just see it all as one thing. Um, and I think you have to try and create it that way as well. You know, you have to, if I'm sitting with, say, Jim at the Studio Sutherland um, and we're trying to come up with a campaign idea, it's not like I throw out words and he throws out images. It's, you know, he may well be suggesting a headline and I might be suggesting... Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say I'll come up with a genius logo or something, but you know there may well be visual ideas that I'm throwing in there. Um, and yeah, I think you know you've just got to remember the end goal really, which is a brilliant idea that works and connects with people. And it doesn't really matter how you get there and who takes credit for which which elements of it. Yeah, you put that perfectly, and I think that really comes across in the, the energy and the life within your 
your more personal projects, Book Secret, um, there's, there's <clears throat> I was just looking at the, the shop when I was doing my research, and uh, just yeah. also, by the way, just as a side note, as for anyone in this time who's um, who's looking for some amusement and some you know something to alleviate the stress of what's going on, I would, I would say go and fill your boots in that shop because there's some absolute <laughs> Um, <laughs> Thanks. But I just think you know the simplicity of the design of those books. It, as someone who's who's kind of trying to hand up for writing fiction at the moment, it just when I see a good book that 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 intrigues me with the cover like that, it just makes me feel alive. And I think that's consistent throughout all of your personal projects. You can it's mm. very evident to see that you've you know that you've got great experience working with designers. Yeah, well, um, I'm married to a designer, which kind of uh, helps. Uh, or at least she, she, she's a designer by background anyway. She's actually a, uh, an artist now. She's more or less moved out of design completely. Um, but yeah, she's a, a painter now. Um, but yeah, I have worked. I mean, I've been very lucky to work with some really excellent designers over the years. Um, so I do a lot with Studio Sutherland, um, a lot of work with Johnson Banks, um, who are Michael Johnson? I don't know if you've ever crossed paths with him, but he's he's you know as good a writer as he is a designer. You know he's he's very much in both camps. Um, and then yeah, kind of people all all around the world really. I've been lucky to work with. Um, and yeah, I, I love the way designers think. And I, I'm often aware when I'm in a room with a designer that we're both you know thinking about the same problem, but in just kind of slightly different ways. I think writers tend to think in terms of stories and narratives and um, verbal twists and lateral connections kind of thing and designers tend to think in terms of like symbols and archetypes and systems and uh, there's kind of slightly different parts of the brain working and then you get this nice moment when they both connect uh, and become yeah hopefully become a really nice idea And there, was a, there was a fantastic comment that I read. I think it was from an interview you did. I can't remember where. Anyway, there was a, a, a lovely comment, and it was about being more productive when you've got client work balancing at the same time as working on your own stuff. And that's something that struck a real chord with me because I've always someone who's thrived on on the energy of, that comes with pressure. Whereas leave me on my own with with a week to do what I want, and I'll you'll I'll just turn into walking yeah. lethargy you know <laughs> it's like yeah yeah it, it's it's really true that and i think it's it's something i've been thinking about quite a lot just in the last few days since the kind of lockdown has kicked in and you know work hasn't work is still going for me luckily but it's um i've definitely noticed it getting quieter and and you kind of think oh yeah this is this is a time where everyone should be launching creative projects and, you know, filling all these uh, spare hours with incredible creative things. But it, it's actually not that easy in a way. And I, I've definitely found, because it's true, I, I tend to be more productive when I'm busy. And if I'm really, you know, really tied up on a client project, I, I can feel my brain is straining to kind of get on with a personal thing as well. So as soon as I get a spare moment, I get straight into that. And yeah, I do find when I've got too much time on my hands, I can go into a bit of a creative slump in a way where you, you just can't quite motivate yourself to do something. Um, and I think that will be a challenge for everyone now in a way, is that because probably everyone's thinking, oh, this is when I should be writing my book or I should be getting my guitar out or launching this new creative thing. And yet, 
in some ways it, it's the hardest time to do it in a way because you've got all the time in the world and you've got no excuse in a way um plus there's also just lots of very uh depressing distressing news around which makes it hard to be um bouncy and creative <laughs> um so yeah it's an interesting time how have you found this time in terms of in terms of um, the, that that tone that you hit upon the kind of the sadness that's around at the moment? I ask just because of the likes of um, the book of perpetual disappointments um, and, and the, the melancholy that comes with those projects. Is there a symmetry there, or is it actually something that you create those when you're feeling happier? Yeah, that's a funny one. The, the um, disappointments diary is um, it's obviously a very uh, downbeat idea. The the idea was to kind of push back against. The, the positivity that you see everywhere on Facebook and social media. Um, but in a weird way, I've never thought of Disappointments Diary as a, a pessimistic thing. No. Uh, I think of it more as a kind of realistic, uh, stoical kind of thing in a way. It's more just putting an arm around your shoulder and saying, yeah, life is shit sometimes and we all feel that way. Yeah. Um, so I think of it almost as a kind of consoling thing and ultimately... <laughs> you know almost a kind of positive thing you know, it's, it's kind of just grounding you and saying you know it's because i think a, a lot of that cult of positive thinking can actually be quite uh damaging in a way because it it kind of puts the onus on you it's like saying you know if if you keep thinking positively everything will work out fine and then things aren't working out fine and you start thinking well shit it's my fault because i'm not thinking positively enough and you, you pile even more pressure on yourself impressive isn't it in a way Mm, yeah yeah um so i think it's quite refreshing to have more realistic voices out there like the disappointments thing um but yeah how it plays into a time like this i'm not really sure it's um yeah i, I i've i've definitely found this a kind of uh challenging time i think you know everyone obviously is going to find it a challenging time uh mentally and psychologically you know it is hard to um just keep going without uh going to the pub now and again <laughs> um i've seen quite a few you know kind of what the what's the point sentiments and i'm sure that will well maybe it'll ease maybe it'll get worse i don't know for different people it's different but i i understand that because you know it is when there's this big i was interviewing rebecca hendon yesterday who's a political cartoonist um and she was saying for her it almost feels like this big faceless thing that's just there behind sat behind everything where it's almost you go to do something you would normally do and you can't help but know that there's this horrible thing just only steps away going on and that yeah. that does you know and none of us we have i don't think we've had to none of us have had to deal with that on such a mass scale i think that's the issue mm. yeah yeah um yeah there's it's this weird combination of something incredibly like apocalyptic and serious going on and yet the sun is shining outside the birds are singing yeah. you've actually got quite a lot of free time on your hands yeah. um you know it's weirdly relaxing in a way and also traumatic and it's like both things are true at the same time it's really, yeah it's totally true and i think you've got that with it so i guess yeah there's there is a disconnect from you know perpetual disappointments in which i would liken more to a friend who go, comes to the pub and tells you his life is also shit and there's there's a happiness mm. in that. I think that's mm. how I would liken it to your book. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but it's brilliant. I think, was it that, well, there's a line that stuck with me and I've told a lot of people ever since because it really makes me laugh. I think it's from Perpetual Disappointments. You talked about it when we did the talk at UCLAN 
a couple of years ago, and it was, um, I think it was if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to hear it, it's, does that remind you of your life? And I did, I just, I've remembered that ever since. I think it's absolutely tremendous. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad you like that one. That's my favourite quote in the diary, I think. Uh, yeah. I'm actually working on an update to it at the moment. It's because um, it first came out 2013, which seems like another lifetime now. But and we've kind of updated it every year, and usually a fairly kind of slight update every year. A few new jokes kind of scattered in. But this year, the publisher wanted to do something a bit more. Um, radical with it so i've been adding loads of new stuff in uh kind of pushing it slightly more in the direction of a uh a journal you, you know you get those kind of uh, is it kerry smith who does the wreck this journal um kind of thing you know with the daily prompts for yeah. Yeah. you know creative exercises you can do and that kind of thing so I've, i'm kind of pushing it in that direction a bit um but yeah, I, I, you'll probably see more of that later in the year. Yeah. And what, what, yeah. stage, at what stage did you start to generate um, the, the, the books and your own content? Uh, that was, I guess, about 10 years ago, 2008, 2009. Uh, I mean, I've always been interested in doing my own things as well as, you know, whatever the, the whatever brief comes your way. I've always been interested in self-initiated projects. I, I always try not to call them side projects because I, I always think that relegates them to the sidelines in a way and it's I think of them as just a kind of central part of what I do really the, you know, doing the diary is as important as doing a, a client project and in fact the diary is a good example because of all the kind of side projects I've done that's probably it's probably the only one actually that's turned into a real commercial project yeah, that we've actually made some decent money off and it's still going, um, what is it, seven or eight years later. Um, and that doesn't happen with most of these projects. You know, I've done lots of things where, I mean, this thing I'm doing now, Real Time Notes, which is the these kind of daily poems that I put on Instagram. It's That's an incredibly uncommercial project. <laughs> if I think of the, the kind of hours I put into it um, and the very small, there's a small market anyway for poetry and uh, it's not like I'm a big name poet and and trying to sell poetry that's been written fast is, is another challenge as well. Um, but I, I guess I just have a kind of faith that if you do stuff that you find interesting and that is creatively uh, rewarding to do, it's kind of like waving a flag to the world in a way and saying, this is me, this is what I do. And that will just make other opportunities come your way. Mm. You know, and, you, and you never quite know how that chain of events is going to work, but there'll be someone out there who's maybe a friend of a friend or someone else who hears that you do fast poetry and decides to get in touch with some uh, maybe tangentially related project or something. Um, but that, and those kind of things don't happen unless you're waving that flag and kind of saying, I exist and I do this kind of stuff. Because um, otherwise all you're going to be known for is whatever a client has asked you to do, which may or may not be your your main thing. That's so true. And I think, you, you, again, you put that brilliantly in. As someone who's always put a high value on, on exploring my bizarre brain, it's the same way. It's, it, it doubles back. Do you do you find that much like I do that you'll do something and you'll get the most unexpected? You know, a client will send you an example of your work that they want to work with you for, and, and long mm. it's something that you did in the dead of night off your own back because just you thought it was funny and it was for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, those are the best kind of emails 
I get really is when, when you get something completely out of the blue from someone you've never crossed paths with before. Um, I mean, the best one I got was I, I got this guy called Alfred who uh, worked at uh, Google in New York and just, you know, the email lands in your inbox and he says, oh yeah, he introduced himself. He said I, he'd been following my blog for a while. He'd heard of Disappointments Diary and that kind of thing. Um and he said, oh, I want to do this project about uh, analogies, using analogies to explain technology. Uh, but it's a very vague idea, and do you fancy just talking on the phone about it? And, and we kind of connected and talked, and it turned into one of the most kind of fun projects I've done, this thing called Sideways Dictionary. Um, it's still up there now, actually, sidewaysdictionary.com. But it, it's basically a dictionary of technological terms mm. and for each one uh, as a way of explaining the term I had to come up with these kind of lateral analogies comparing it to something else in the real world um, which was a real like mind-bending thing to do uh, but it happened as I say completely not by me doing any kind of proactive new business stuff uh, but just by me blogging and tweeting and doing what I do and then yeah at some at some point, some guy in New York sends you an email. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, that, that's the theory, and you just never know when that email might land. It's true, I think when you weigh up the odds of someone coming to you to do the thing that you've always dreamed of by just sitting on your ass, it's quite slim. <laughs> so I think you know, no matter how lateral or, or how direct, I just think you you have to kind of engineer that but then you can't you can't plan that out you can't plan the steps to, to making it happen mm -hmm. at time mm -hmm. so i just say to people well just do what you do put it out there invite feedback share it love doing it and and you'd be very surprised what unexpected mm -hmm. or hoped for routes come out of it yeah yeah I, I once had the chance to interview this guy you know the illustrator christoph neiman yeah um it was actually it was when I was working on Smile in the Mind, the updated version of that book. There's, there's some interviews at the end of the book with various people, and he was one of them. But one of the things he said to me has always stuck with me. He said um, when he looks at his workload now, um, he realises that it, they're all things that were tiny little experimental uh, side projects five years ago. Um, and extrapolating from that he realized if he doesn't keep experimenting on the sidelines now with other new stuff then he's going to be stuck in five years time um and i think that's really true and it's like even as you get busier and busier and more successful you know he's, he's about as successful as you can get now uh, it's really important to find that time to do just weird stuff on the side that you're not sure if it'll lead anywhere that that could well become the kind of central thing that you're doing in a few years yeah. i'm sure you must have found that with what you do well, very much so and at any given point i've been you know I, I i probably should feel guilty about not illustrating because i do i, I, mm. I live into illustrating and I, and I love it like i always have but i i just love creativity more you know and and therefore i am not afraid to just have a go at doing something new and even if it doesn't lead me directly down that path you know podcasting mm. wasn't planned non-fiction wasn't planned now i'm writing fiction it may never see light of day but that's fine because i'm having a great lot of fun doing it and it's a great way for me to cope with the world, no matter what's going on. Um, and I'm sure that something will come from it. So I'm, I'm just excited to see what, and I'm not putting too much pressure on myself that that should, yeah, be, yeah. That should be any one thing, you know? Um, at some stage, I'd love to get you a beer and chat to you just about the kind of your experiences in publishing and self-publishing, because 
there are mm. numerous kind of fiction and, and zine ideas got on the go at the moment and uh, and that's a whole new world so i'm kind of in the process of, of trying to dip my toe in the writer's world a little bit more so that'd be cool mm. but you know if you can't kind of give in to those you know the your instinct and and the, and the urge to do and try new things then um then it kind of goes against why you probably got into the creative industry in the first place which is to have mm. to explore and do something that wasn't a nine-to-five you know yeah absolutely yeah yeah how, how do you find it so i'm gonna ask you a question now but how do you find it when you like uh engage the writing side of your brain compared to because i guess you know most of the time you're doing something visual but now you're writing these stories is that quite a do you feel like you're exercising a different Uh, muscle in a way very much so and this is something i've been going 11 years full-time as an illustrator now and and it's it's a shock it's exactly what you said as in i probably should have always done something with writing much like yourself english was my strongest suit in school way more than at Mm. the time because at that stage drawing was just something i did at home without overthinking that that was just a, a hobby to me Whereas writing, I, I knew I was all right at English, so that, that gave me a different buzz, and you know, I could and I could tell stories. And any passion in life, I'm a huge WWE wrestling fan, you know. Uh, yeah. From, uh, all the things that I truly love and I'm really passionate about, have all they're all underpinned by great storytelling or interesting storytelling. And yeah. it's kind of a, it's probably should have come to me earlier that that writing was going to give me a different way of exploring that to what illustration can at least for me mm. um, but then I, I also believe that you have to arrive at these things at the right time in your life when you're ready to see them and you've got the experience to, to recognise that so you know it, it was a whole un, unplannable chain of events that led me to actually starting to write these stories but it's kind of caught fire in my own brain now and everything whenever, whenever that's happened and I get this level of hunger it seems to lead somewhere so I'm just going to just enjoy it and the, the great thing is there is zero pressure on it at this point so I'm fully, yeah. I'm fully aware that it's completely rough around the edges and, and it may be not even good but I'm loving it enough to carry on doing it at the moment and that's all that matters to me yeah definitely definitely yeah. you've got to follow your own little inner compass in a way I think it's, I definitely feel that with real time notes when I'm writing these poems is that I just there's some I, I have my moments of doubt with it where I think you know why am I doing this and at what point do I stop because I've been going two and a half years now writing these things at least once a day um but yeah there's always a strong enough voice inside me that says no this is it's interesting and i can feel it interests me even if it interests no one else can hang and that that's enough in a way to keep you going but it's if it ever got to the point where i felt i'm just doing this because it's become an expectation um or a routine that that, that i would kind of get scared and run away i think but um as long as it's yeah as long as it's engaging you that's that's usually a pretty good sign i think i think so i think it's the biggest thing you can you can do it beats favor you can do for yourself because uh god i mean look at any project whether it's you know you think of mr bingo i don't, I don't know if you're aware of his work but yes definitely yeah the, the hate mail postcards you know little projects yeah. like that they, they, it's Again, you can't work backwards. You couldn't go to a student now and go, that's how you get there, because that's a completely unique personal set of circumstances that have led to that, which underlines the importance of following the heart in that respect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, um, I think it's really, really important. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, like you say, things just things become duplicitous. I don't know, but things start to repeat themselves, don't they? If you only do the same thing or you only do what work comes in, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I do pretty mm. much all the work that comes in, 
but <clears throat> you know like you said for every time i'm busy on a project something dies inside of me if i can't get to that other thing that i'm loving at the time so yeah, I just, yeah. it's a personal compulsion and it's not right or wrong but it's just what i have to do and, and it sounds like you too yeah i think so yeah it's just and it's funny thinking where that instinct comes from because uh, I think some creative people have it more than others. Some are, some are, you know, perfectly happy to treat it more as a kind of nine to five job, um, which in many ways may be a very healthy state of mind. You know, just to uh, treat it as a job and a craft, and then you down tools and you live a life in the evening. Kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but to me, uh, living a life is almost writing. <laughs> That's what I want to do. Uh, so if I'm whether I'm working or uh, relaxing or whatever it, it's writing is my medium in a way it's what I what I feel I kind of feel my I'm at my most relaxed sometimes when I've got a blank document open in front of me and I just know I can write for the next hour or yeah. uh, it can be a really nice feeling it's a wonderful feeling I really truly love it um, but do you have, my uncle said to me recently um, my uncle used to write jokes and sketches for various comedians like Bob Monkhouse and stuff back in the 70s the only found this out recently is like a, he's painfully introverted but he's a really really funny guy and um, and he described a, a, a lot of writers as having a fly paper mind which I thought was really really good mm. and, and exactly what you've said there Nick it's, um, it's just something that you know I cannot I can't switch off. You learn to control it a little better as the years go on. But when you when you you know when you're writing and you're looking out for the next observation, the world doesn't stop after five pm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that that's what was going through my head really when because I think you mentioned at the start of this how I, I've been thinking about coronavirus recently and. Um, how kind of writing and design and communication generally can kind of uh, contribute something. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's what was going through my head. I, so what we're talking on Friday now and going back to Sunday, Sunday night, I think I was sitting around um, feeling frustrated really, feeling kind of uh, slightly angry in a way that there was such a state of confusion in the country and there didn't seem to be any clarity about what people were supposed to do and supposed not to do and it was leading people to get kind of cross with each other um, because no one seemed to agree on what the rules were um, and I, I noticed people were starting to talk on Twitter about how you know the, what was missing here was just a clear communications campaign um, and yeah because I approached just about everything through the prism of writing I, I was just thinking well what you know, writing seems like it could do a useful job here, kind of thing. Um, and that, that's what got me thinking about slogans and um, kind of, I guess, catchy ways of trying to convey useful messages to people. Um, so yeah, I kind of fairly casually on Sunday night uh, tweeted about um, this lack of a public campaign, and maybe we should just kind of start one ourselves. Uh, when I, I started tweeting out some headlines, thinking uh, I didn't want to kind of try and turn it into some kind of personal project, like a self-publicity type thing. I just wanted to put some stuff out there and see if it kind of grew organically in a way. So I just started tweeting some headlines and just said, if you're a designer and you feel like doing something with them, go for it. Um, and yeah, it, it's 
things changed pretty rapidly anyway in, in the next 24 hours because I think it was the next day that the actual lockdown was uh, was brought in and that kind of in some ways clarified things more than they were before but um, but I, I still kind of feel it now and I think there's a lot of confusion in the country and a lot of um, even now people are arguing about you know can you drive somewhere and then go for a walk or have you got to just go for a walk from your house um all these kind of things where you think, well, if we were really being communicated with clearly and in a coordinated way, everyone would kind of know the rules and it would actually make life a lot easier and stop you falling out with your neighbour kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, I've been thinking about that quite a lot lately, wondering what people can do. Mm. What's the response to that? Well, it's, it was nice. Um, I quite a few designers um, responded pretty quickly to it. And as I say, I'm lucky to know some quite good designers. So uh, a guy called Alistair Hall was quite uh, quick off the mark, did a, a poster, just used the line, um, help out, stay in. Um, and he, he, uh, he turned that into a nice thing. Um, guy called Pete uh, Majerich, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, an Australian designer, really good guy, but he, he took some of the lines and did something with them. Uh, Michael Johnson at Johnson Banks, he got really busy on uh, Sunday night, I kind of woke up on Monday morning and he emailed me about 15 posters, um, which is great, you know, and yeah, he, he made a nice kind of consistent campaign out of some of them. Um, so yeah, it kind of it developed a bit of momentum. Uh, as I say, I've had slightly mixed feelings about it because I, I didn't want to. There's this kind of cliche in uh, design and copywriting as well. I think where whenever there's a world disaster, a natural disaster or something, everyone leaps onto it and tries to do a logo or a poster as though that's going to uh, help in some way. And I, I really didn't want it to come across like that. Like, oh, let's. You know, use this as a promotional opportunity. So I, I, I haven't been like massively proactive in terms of trying to coordinate it. Um, I've, I've more just taken it in the spirit of you know just throw stuff out there and let it hopefully grow in its own organic way. Um, so yeah, it, it's I think it's made a little dent in things. But uh, I, I actually noticed. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, yesterday I saw the UN have launched a uh, kind of appeal to creators generally to, to send in ideas. Uh, so it's a bit of a strange one because they're asking people to, uh, they've published a brief, you know, with the various messages they want to get across um, internationally, you know, in many countries around the world. And, and they want designers and illustrators and writers to all send in ideas on you know, on the various elements of this brief. Uh, there's no payments involved, um, and there's no... Uh, I'm slightly suspicious of the lack of uh, professional coordination, in a way. Um, I think it could just lead to a kind of slightly messy free-for-all, in a way, where no one's really taking a strategic view of the whole thing, in a way. It's just a, a mishmash of ideas. Um, 
and yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily the, the ideal way to do it. I think there's a lot of creative companies probably who are going to be struggling financially over the next few months, and it would be nice if it was possible to offer them payments in some way, even though many of them might choose to waive the fee because it's obviously important work. But the, I kind of feel like there should probably be a fee there to be waived <laughs> in a way. Yeah, um, I think you're right. I think it's real humility to the way that you approach that brief as well. I think it's just it's about clear information and addressing a clear problem, which is what good design and, and writing is about. Well, you know the kind of writing that you that you do. So mm. I think it's you know I think it's great. I don't think there's any any hint of jumping on any bandwagons there. To be honest. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I certainly hope that's the way it comes across. Um, I, I've just found it genuinely confusing, really, because I, I um, you know, I'm not a major fan of this government and haven't been <laughs> for a long time. But I was definitely prepared to give them um, every benefit of the doubt on, in terms of the way they're handling this crisis, because it, you know it's a major, um, unprecedented thing to deal with. Uh, but I really thought the one part of it they might be especially good at might be the communication side because um, they were certainly good at that throughout the whole kind of Brexit saga. It was one of the whether you agreed with their policies or not, they were always super clear about them and they, they ran home, get Brexit done you know, to the point where you know you just heard the line hammered into your head so many times. The same with take back control and surrender bill and all these kind of buzz phrases which they repeated with kind of ruthless discipline. Um, and I, I, you kind of think, well, you could have used the same uh, powers and the same approach and the same belief in slogans and used it for a really good social purpose, which is, you know, um, telling people to stay in and to stay two metres apart. And, you know, uh, and there's been some of that in recent days. I think Boris has been standing behind podiums that say, I think it says, stay in, protect the NHS, save lives, uh, which, you know, is a perfectly fine kind of free part slogan, maybe not the, the catchiest thing in the world, but it's it's something. Um, but yeah, I, I've just been surprised that there haven't been more kind of brain power dedicated to that. And I think people really feel the lack of it. You know, when it's not there, I think you you can tell it's not there. There's kind of an anxiety across the nation, I think, where everyone's like really crying out for a bit of clarity. Oh, I think so. Definitely, you know, like you said about you know, the, the, is it okay to drive out? And it's like, you know, as a dog owner, it's like, you know, yeah. can I give my dog two walks? Probably not. <laughs> you know? But you know, yeah. again, there's a chance. Maybe I, maybe I should take some of uh, some of what you've been doing and chop it up and find a dog message in there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a dog angle there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but no, it's great, and, and I think that's this is when this is the kind of design that always inspired me. You know, I always grew up loving graphic activism, and, and it's another thing like we mentioned earlier that I didn't I didn't formalise that, I didn't realise that I loved that stuff until deep into my dissertation when I started to look at the likes of Ken Garland and the um, First Things First manifesto and the, and the likes so I've always yeah. found that really powerful when it when it's done right, like you say, you know, we can all put out a wishy-washy logo about something that we're interested in, but, but clear communication mm. that looks good is so powerful Yeah, absolutely, yeah and it doesn't necessarily have to be kind of clever or you know, it doesn't have to involve a play on words or a, uh, you know, as I say, get Brexit done or take back control. They were pretty smart slogans and pretty effective slogans, but there's no pun or twist or play on words or anything. They're just very simple chunks of thought in a way that were just, um, 
It, I mean, it sounds kind of corny to say it in a way, but they're, they're almost like little viruses themselves as pieces of language. And they, if you get it right, they can spread very rapidly through a whole population. Yeah, um, yeah. Even in things that were taking the piss, there was um, the girl I mentioned earlier, Rebecca, who's a political cartoonist. She did a great cartoon for The Guardian. And it was just, it was when the floods happened not too long back and, and Boris was up to here, up to his nose in the water but still pointing saying get Brexit done so even in pieces that are blatantly taking the piss it's still carrying the message so you know mm. <laughs> yeah yeah well it'll be really interesting to see what emerges over the next few weeks and months you know will there be um posters or slogans or something else that people look back on and feel that that kind of captured the time and the moment mm. um is someone out there working on, you know, the definitive coronavirus novel or screenplay or, yeah. you know, there, there must be loads of people out there doing creative stuff at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been doing my own fictitious, um, you know, kind of first world isolation diary mm. almost, you know, mm. of couples falling apart who've never had a problem but suddenly under the roof, under the same roof together for three days and, you know, I'm just having a lot of fun creating these fictitious scenarios. Uh, mm. with that so you know yeah it's, it's who knows it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see where that goes mm. yeah i think the the kind of um oh you know one of the downsides of it is just seeing all the um all the events being cancelled all the kind of creative events that aren't happening anymore and fact, that's the, I mean, just today I saw DNAD announcing the DNAD festival has been cancelled entirely this year. Um, Birmingham Design Festival I was meant to be involved with this year. That's, that's um, I think, possibly happening later in the year. Um, but it's a real shame, all these things. My wife, as I say, is an artist. She was meant to have an opening evening tonight for her first solo exhibition. That's been cancelled. Um and yeah, it's quite it's quite depressing in a way for the creative industry generally. I think you realise how much of a role these communal events play in a way. Even though a lot of what we do is kind of a solitary thing, like writing or illustrating, it's it kind of comes alive when you have these communal events and you talk to other people and you you go for a drink afterwards and an idea for another new project comes along and yeah. you kind of think all that stuff isn't happening at the moment. It's a real real shame, I think. Well, it's very really true. I mean, this, you know, the reason we're having this conversation today is because we, we were both talking at the same conference at yes. UConn two years ago, and that's you're very right. I think it's a really important. It's only you know, you know it's, it's part of the reason I've been doing these kind of cabin casts, as I've called it. Um, mm. It sounds worse every time I say it now, but, <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, know. but it's the reason I've been doing it because actually we're going to miss that. That's something big to miss from our industry because it's a big part of it. You know, it's the same yeah. reason we all. Well, I say we all, a lot of us love being at art college and being in that shared environment outside of school for the first time because it's exciting and invigorating and then you go to the pub and you mm. piss and you have bad and good ideas and, you know, that, that is a big loss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I've seen there's been some kind of cynicism out there already where people are saying, please, uh, no matter how difficult things get, please don't start a podcast <laughs> or um, <laughs> uh, please don't pick up a guitar and start singing to us and that kind of thing. And um, 
I actually, you know, I could be cynical uh, with the best of them, but I really do feel at the moment that's not the way to see it. It's like you shouldn't be trying to police what other people do as their outlet kind of thing. And I think if people want to start a podcast, I mean, you've been doing this for years, so you're you're not. It's not like you suddenly thought of this overnight. But uh, but you know, if someone does want to start a completely new podcast tomorrow, they should fucking do it. You know, it's like there, there shouldn't be anyone telling you you can't. Oh god, I've got my own track record of, of horrendously failed projects, but it's never it's never failure. It just it just directs you a different way, you know. Yeah, that's the way I see it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I you know, I'm definitely looking out for what people are doing, and uh, yeah, if people want to start writing poetry or doing podcasts or playing guitars, then yeah, uh, yeah I think <laughs> go for it. Now's the time. Brilliant. Well, I think I've more or less covered everything. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah. Great. So, where is uh, where's the best place for people to uh, to find your work? Uh, well, Instagram, I'm Nick Asbury, all one word. Uh, Twitter, Asbury and Asbury. Uh, or you can go to asburyandasbury.com and kind of find everything else from there. Uh, but yeah, I tend to be fairly active on Twitter and Instagram, so those are the best places, I think. Brilliant. Well, it's been a pleasure, Nick. And um, yeah, let's uh, stay in touch. And it's, like I say, it's going to be interesting to see where things go from here. Yes, it certainly will. Yeah. No, I enjoyed that. Thank you. Yeah, no, no, it's been a pleasure. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much to Nick for taking the time to talk. Uh, he's a funny guy. I really love his work. I saw Nick, as I mentioned earlier, doing a sh- he did a talk at the UCLan University of Central Lancashire, that is, design conference a couple of years back where they take the whole week over and invite lots of people from the creative industry. And I was uh, speaking at the same time as Nick, so I went in and I'd gone in there to grab a couple of conversations, one with Jim Sutherland and one with Jack Renwick from Jack Renwick Studio and Studio Sutherland, respectively. Uh, two of the two of the best in the game out there in design um, and I had a pint with Nick afterwards and I was pulling up a lot of comments that you know and a lot of excerpts from his books that he talks about in the presentation and it was just truly hilarious and the reaction of everyone in the crowd and, and the lecturers at UCLan who I get along very well with was perfect so we planned to do a show ever since and we talked about it there and then but it's taken you know two years to get here as these things do so it's been a real pleasure for me to be able to do that today with Nick and, and I hope you guys enjoy it so do get us your thoughts. Um, I know there's a perception in this industry that a lot of us, are, you know, we work with images and we work with visual communication. So why would we be interested in writing or good at writing? But I think Nick's chat today really does underline the importance for the overlap and the symbiotic relationship of the two when it comes to clear presentation. And especially interesting what he talks about to do with coronavirus at the moment and the lack of clear communications and guidance from government level. So it's going to be interesting to see what you guys come back with. Go and check out his social account and do get involved with designing your own um, using Nick's words hey look at it this way it's a chance to collaborate with one of the best writers in our industry out there you know and you don't have to do it under pressure so go and use what he's put out there very kindly and let's see what you've got so thank you for listening thank you again to the sponsors illustrationx.com and the association of illustrators over at the aoi.com uh, get us hit up on the social at arrest all mimics or at ben Talon. i'm on there personally uh and I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. We're going to pick up again with the Creative Cabin Casts moving forward this week. So we'll have some more interesting people sharing their mania and their lockdown and what that is and what it looks like in the inside of their minds and their houses. Uh, interesting times we're living in. Stay in touch, stay safe, stay happy. Uh, and if you're not, reach out, give us a shout, talk to someone. It's important. We all have to be very open at this time and admit that we've never been here before and we don't always know how to respond to it. And that's fine. So cheers, guys. Hope you're well. Chat soon.